Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. My name is Grant Baldwin. Good to have you here with us today. Hey, today we are on episode 73, and we're going to be talking all about travel. And in fact, we have so much to say about the subject of travel and uh, a lot to get into, a lot to cover, all about what to do when things go wrong, all about travel hacking, all about status and picking an airline and hotels and rental cars and all that goes into travel. We're going to get into all of that. And we have so much to get into and so much to talk about. In fact, we've made this a two-part episode. Yes, that is right. You're going to get part one today. And a couple days from now, you will get part two. So, Get ready for that. And again, a lot of stuff that you want to be aware of. You want to know because it really does make a difference, not only in getting to events and getting home from events, but also in making your life less stressful, really, because travel can cause a lot of stress. So you do not want to be showing up trying to get ready to speak or getting on stage when you're dealing with travel stress. So we talk all about that in today's episode. Hey, quick reminder, if you haven't already, make sure that you join us for an upcoming free online training where we're going to teach you all about how to find and book speaking engagements. If you'd like to join us for that, you can go to freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. Totally free online webinar where we're teaching you all about how to find and book speaking engagements. We talk about speaking fees, where to find them, how to reach out to decision makers, what to speak about, all of that. We get into that. Again, you can go to freespeakerworkshop.com. All right, let's get into it. Here we go. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, boys and girls? So today we're going to be talking about travel. You know, part of being a speaker is the travel, and it's just kind of that nature of the beast. And I found that most people in general, I think, either they love to travel or they hate to travel. And a lot of speakers tend to fall somewhere in between and just kind of learn to tolerate it. There's a lot of speakers that I've talked to who said, man, if, if someone could just invent some type of like teleportation or something or some other way to get to the event and not have to travel like that would be ideal because I think speakers we love the speaking we love the being on the stage the travel to get there we just tolerate at best and on the outside looking in it's easy to think that the travel part of being a speaker can be very glamorous and very sexy and certainly it can be fun I mean you're visiting new cities you're flying around the country or the world and sometimes you know obviously the more you do it and we'll talk about this today you can travel in first class and it can be really cool you can stay in a lot of different hotels stay in different parts of the world and yes while it can be fun it can also be very very tiring very exhausting part of the job and so you don't think about the parts where the airline loses your luggage or your flight is delayed or canceled or you have to sleep in the airport or a sketchy hotel. There's a hotel I'm thinking of right now where I just kind of got stuck at and ended up just sleeping like on top of the, what's what's it called? I can't even think of it. The 
why can't I think of the word? Whatever it's called, the top blanket thing, <laughs> the uh, bedspread. That's what the word I was looking for. And then like just slept in all of my clothes and just sprayed down the bed with Lysol. It was just that sketchy. So that's the glamorous part of travel that nobody sees. Now, back in episode 61, we talked about like who pays for travel of a speaker. But in today's episode, I want to talk about travel tips for speakers. I'm going to give you nine different travel tips for speakers that you need to know. And so we're going to go through all nine. In fact, I got a lot to say about these. So we may even break this up into a two-part episode. So we'll get into it. And we'll see how far we get. So first of all, number one is this. Number one is we're going to talk about basically before you book travel, what are some things you should do? So we'll talk about when you actually book travel and also during the travel portion of it itself. We'll talk about each of those things. So first of all, number one, in terms of before you even book travel, number one would be to become a member of every travel rewards program. Become a member of every travel rewards program. Now, let me start by just kind of giving you a high level view of how this works. When you travel, airlines and hotels have these frequent traveler programs where you can oftentimes earn miles or points when you travel with them. And so these points and miles can then later be redeemed for free travel, such as like free flights or free hotel nights or other types of travel. And so this is one of the biggest perks of speaking is that as it relates to the travel is that clients pay you to travel, but when you travel on their dime, you are earning these miles and points that can be redeemed later for free travel for you or for your family. Family. I know for me personally, I've been able to take my family on some amazing vacations, mostly for free, in part because of the miles and points that I've earned from traveling for speaking. So as a speaker who travels a lot, I want you to sign up for like every different travel rewards program. I personally, I just looked it up. I have memberships with 10 different airlines and eight different hotel chains, and they're free accounts, and I generally only use a couple of them, but the others I earn points from time to time, and those points can add up. Even my wife, my wife doesn't travel very often, but we have reward accounts for her too for just about all the same hotels and airlines because you start to accumulate those, and that's how you can get a lot of free points. And so basically what I want you to do is I want you to become a mile and point magnet. So whenever you make reservations for a flight or a hotel or a rental car, always make sure that they have your rewards number for that company connected to the reservation. So even if the client that you're working with makes a reservation, which oftentimes if that was going to be the case, it's usually a hotel that they're booking for you, make sure that you contact the hotel or whenever you check in, just making sure that your frequent traveler number, your rewards number, whatever you want to call it, make sure that that is on file for the reservation so that you get credit for it. Now, when I first started traveling a lot, I even kept a printed sheet in my travel bag with all of my account numbers on it. And I'd pull it out each time I'd get to a hotel to make sure that my number was on the reservation. But now there's a sweet tool that you can use. It's a free tool that will keep track of all of this for you. It is called Award Wallet, and you can find it over at awardwallet.com, awardwallet.com, and we'll link up to that in the show notes. But it stores all of your account numbers. It keeps the updated totals of your point balance for each account as well. And so there's an online version of it, and then there's an app, and I regularly use both to check my account. So whenever I get to a hotel, hey, I just want to make sure you've got my rewards number on file. And if they don't, I can pull up my phone. Oftentimes, they can look it up, but I can also pull it up on my phone and pull it from that Award Wallet. 
Now, also on an upcoming episode, we're going to be talking with a buddy of mine who's a mile and point expert. But by becoming a mile and point magnet, it opens up a ton of free travel opportunities for you. So I want you to start getting into that mindset, starting getting into that mentality of beginning to look for those opportunities to earn some of those miles and points because they can really make a big difference for you and they can really start to add up as you're doing more and more travel. All right, second thing I want you to do. Again, before you book travel, something to do. Number two here is to pick your preferred airline, hotel, and car rental company and stick with them. Pick your preferred airline, hotel, car rental company and stick with them. Here's why. The more often you fly that same airline or stay in the same hotel chain or use the same rental car company, the more they will reward you with those miles and points. And the more points and miles that you earn, the more they will reward you with status. And the more you use them, the better they treat you, the more rewards you get, and the higher status you earn. And when you travel, status matters. Status can mean getting free upgrades to first class. It means getting free checked bags. It means free flight changes. It means upgrade on hotel rooms or rental cars. And so the way to earn status when traveling is to pick your preferred companies and try to, as best as possible, do all of your travel with them. So first of all, let's talk about why this even matters. So I gave you a couple of high-level views there. Let me just give you some specific examples, especially whenever it comes to flights. Number one is this. Personally, the majority of the flights that I now travel on, I am upgraded to first class, which makes the travel experience just slightly more bearable. I'm not paying for first class. Occasionally, we'll pay for a first class ticket. But for the most part, I know that on the flights that I'm on with my preferred carrier, which I'll tell you in a second, I get upgraded. So it's definitely having that status can help get upgraded. The second thing where it matters with flights is for traveling standby. So when traveling, I will oftentimes go standby for a flight, which basically means I'm trying to to get on an earlier flight that I'm not actually booked on. So for example, if my flight is at five o'clock, but I finish a speaking gig and I get to the airport and there's a three o'clock flight that I can make and I'm there for in time, I can go standby on it. So after basically what that means is after they've boarded the flight, if there are still empty seats, I can switch to that flight. And so this is beneficial for two reasons. Number one, excuse me, having status is beneficial for standby for a couple reasons. One, is that most airlines now don't even offer a standby option unless you have status. So even to have the choice to switch to a different flight, you have to have status. The second reason is that standby list is somewhat based on status. And so if there are 10 people on the standby list and there's only three seats, then generally the three people with the highest status will get those seats. Now, it may not seem like a big deal, but I I promise you this has saved my butt many, many times trying to get on a different flight to get to an event or to get home, especially if there are weather issues or there's delays or there's cancellations. And now all of a sudden there's a lot of people on the standby list and only a couple of seats. There've been some flights where there have been well over 50 people on the standby list. And I was one of the only people to, and sometimes, and I remember a couple of situations, I was the only person to get a seat because of that status. And so that can really make a big difference for you. The other reason, number three, is that uh, status really helps when you're changing flights. And so when there are issues, cancellations, delays, you're going to get priority help in switching to new flights and confirming new seats. So also depending on the level of your status, if you decide to change your flight for some reason beyond like a weather issue or airline issue, most airlines are going to charge some ridiculous change fee. But with your status, your fee may be less or they may just completely waive the fee. So those things can really start to add up. And again, that comes from having status. They are rewarding your loyalty with that company. 
So now let me walk you through which are my preferred providers for flights, hotel, and car rental, and I'll kind of explain why for each and some, some, and some criteria that you may want to consider when picking yours. For airline, I have almost always flown with American Airlines. I've been based here in the U.S., been very loyal to American since I first started traveling heavily about a decade ago. Sometimes I'll go on Southwest. If I'm going with my family, we just about always fly Southwest. It's easy for getting all five of us. A lot of times we'll use points for traveling, and it's easy to use those points there. But if I can get a direct flight on Southwest, I'll try to do that. But usually I'm on American. And within the U.S., there's those three main carriers. You've got American, United, and Delta. And then you have some others like the Southwest or Alaska or JetBlue or Virgin or some of those. And so I started flying with American in part because when I got started, my dad was traveling a lot and he pretty much always travel with American. So that's kind of what I did. And while they all have their pros and cons, one of the biggest factors in picking an airline is the city that you live in and where you will be traveling to. So for example, while today I live in Nashville, I used to do a lot of travel from Springfield, Missouri, which is a much smaller market. So I would always have to connect somewhere. And so in order to connect, I would always have to fly either to Chicago or Dallas. Whereas if I was with United, I would have had to fly through Chicago or Denver. And if I was with Delta, I would just about always have to fly through Atlanta, which is way out of the way. And so each airline has hubs around the US and around the world. And so you may want to figure out if you live near a hub or what the closest hubs would be so that you could determine where you would travel to. So for example, if I lived in Denver, I might travel primarily on United since they have a hub there. They have a lot more flights there. If I lived in Atlanta, Delta is the main carrier in Atlanta. Now, you know, all the airlines fly through Atlanta, but most flights for Delta go through Atlanta. So if I lived in Atlanta, I might primarily travel on Delta since they have a hub there. So where you live and where you travel will be one of the biggest factors when picking an airline. So that's why I fly on American. Again, point is just picking something and, and sticking with it. Let me talk about hotels for a second. I just about always stay with Hilton properties. Hotels, again, they have loyalty programs for basically groups of hotels. So the Hilton program is called Hilton Honors, which is actually comprised of Hilton, Hampton Inn, Embassy Suites, Doubletree, Hilton Garden Inn, a couple other smaller ones. And so anytime I stay at one of these properties, I get Hilton Honors points. And so Hilton has one of the biggest groups of properties. A lot of times when I travel, I stay at just a Hampton Inn, usually a consistent experience. Again, free Wi-Fi, free breakfast. And so I usually look for places that have, you know, free internet, free breakfast, and usually where there's a lot of properties available. So again, some of it depends on some of your preferences, where you're commonly traveling to. But I've found for me like that just using a primarily Hilton properties works well. For car rental, I almost always use national car rental for a couple reasons. One is that they have Oh, what do they call it? I'm drawing a blank on it now. Basically, what you can do is you can make a reservation and rather than going and waiting in line and they assign you a car and then you go out to your car, they have basically you just, oh, I cannot think, Emerald Isle is what they call it, which basically means they've got just a row of cars in the parking lot and you can just choose from any of them and just get in the car and then you check out at kind of like a, almost like a toll booth basically before you leave the parking lot. And so most of the national lots have that. Basically, it's, it's nice that you get to pick the car versus just having the car assigned to you. But then I think bigger than that, it's just quicker. So I'm not having to wait in line for keys. I literally, the keys are in a car. I just go to the park, go straight to the parking lot, get in the car and go. So it's a quicker experience for one. 
The second reason that I usually use National is it's one of the only car rental programs where you can actually earn free rental days. And so again, a lot of times I'll save those free rental days for when I'm traveling with my family and we need to maybe rent a minivan and it's more expensive, then I may use those then. So again, the point is, is whenever it comes to airlines, hotels, car rental, just pick something and stick with it to maximize not only your earning power, but again, to achieve some of that status, you know, not as a attaboy that congratulations, you have status with travel, but it helps to reduce some of those travel headaches that will inevitably happen. All right, now let's talk about actually booking travel. I'm going to give you a couple of points on this. First of all, Number three, number three is don't book the last flight to an event. Don't book the last flight to an event. When you're getting ready to book a flight for an event, you're going to have a lot of different options, a lot of different airlines, a lot of different times, a lot of different routing and connections, lots of different variables. And again, while every speaker is different in terms of when they want to arrive, you never want to book the last flight to the event. You always want to allow yourself a little bit of buffer room in case things go wrong, which from time to time, they inevitably will. In a little bit, we're going to talk about what to do when travel issues come up. So never book the last flight because if that one cancels or if there's an issue, you're screwed basically. So always make sure that you've got room to have a plan B. Now, when you're reviewing flight options, the main tool that we usually use, there's a bunch of different ones out there. The main tool we use is kayak.com, K-A-Y-A-K, kayak.com. And so basically you put in your dates, your times, and when you're flying, where you're flying from and to, and kayak will basically scour the internet, bring you back options for flights on various carriers. Now, again, in my case, I'm almost always going to book on American, but I'll still check and see what the other options are. And so sometimes we'll see if there's a direct flight that would get me home sooner to the event or always see if a different carrier has a fare that's significantly cheaper than what it would be on American. So we always review kayak before booking. Now, I'll also mention to you that Kayak pulls in a lot of the major carriers, but one that they do not pull in is Southwest. So if you want to travel on Southwest or if you regularly want to use Southwest, then you have to go directly to Southwest site, just southwest.com to see what the itinerary options would be for that. Now, another tool that we use a lot is tripit.com, T-R-I-P-I-T, tripit.com all one word, tripit.com. And so Tripit basically, it creates an online itinerary for your trip. And so the way it works is when you book a flight or a hotel or a car rental, some other piece of travel, you'll get a confirmation email for that travel. And so then what you would do is you would forward that email to your Tripit account and it automatically creates an itinerary for you. So whenever I get ready to leave on a trip, I've got TripIt, which has all of my confirmation numbers for that trip in one location. So what my flight confirmation number is, what my hotel confirmation number is, the address for my hotel, all of those details are saved in TripIt, which again is pulled off those confirmation emails. So it's a free app. There's a paid version that gives you a little bit more bells and whistles. But having TripIt to create that online itinerary is really, really slick. I use TripIt very, very regularly. I really, really like it. In fact, I also... There's an integration between TripIt and my calendar. I use Google Calendar for everything. And so like if I book a flight right now, it's going to book a flight on American. It's going to send me a confirmation email. I forward that confirmation email to TripIt. Just all I'm doing is forwarding the email. It adds it to my TripIt account. But then because TripIt is connected to my Google Calendar, it automatically creates 
that on my calendar so I can see exactly when my flights are. So a lot of times I'm not actually using TripIt itself. A lot of times I'm just using the integration to my Google Calendar to see when my flights are, what the address is for my hotel and that kind of stuff. So TripIt works really, really well. Again, it's a free tool you can check out at TripIt.com. All right, let's keep cruising on here. Number four. Number four is uh, try to avoid booking non-refundable hotel rooms. Avoid booking non-refundable hotel rooms. So when traveling, there's a lot that can change with your schedules. It's always good to remain flexible. And when you book a hotel room, you're generally going to have an option of a refundable versus a non-refundable rate. And so if you get a refundable rate, it's generally a few bucks more, but you can cancel or change the reservation up to usually 24 hours before the booking and not be penalized anyway. So we typically only book a non-refundable room if it's just a few days from the event and we know that everything is a go. But I wouldn't typically book a non-refundable room like several weeks or months out because there's, again, there's a lot that could change and I may need to cancel or change that reservation and I don't want to be penalized for that. Some other things I would recommend when booking a hotel is to look at the map and figure out where the hotel is in relation to other places that you need to be. Meaning where is the hotel in relation to the venue where you're speaking if it's going to be in a different place. Where's the hotel in relation to the airport? Will you be dealing with rush hour traffic from where you're staying versus where you're headed? So some of these logistical details can be sorted out way ahead of time by just looking at a map. There's so many times that it, like we've saved our own butt here by just looking at a map and realizing, oh, the reason that that hotel is significantly cheaper than that one is because I'd have like a, you know, a ridiculous drive to get to the venue that I need to be in, or it's a long way from the airport, or it's way out of the way. So when booking hotel rooms, again, don't book a non-refundable room, and then also just look at the map to figure out where it is in relation to everything else. All right, next one, number five. Number five, again, when booking travel, do what's best for the client do what's best for the client. Now, this rule primarily applies to how you're booking travel. So as we talked about in episode 61, there are basically there are two primary ways to handle travel expenses with a client. Either number one, you bill all inclusively, meaning that there's one flat rate that the client pays and you're responsible for covering your travel out of that, which is what I prefer. Or number two, you invoice travel separately, meaning that you would charge your speaking fee and then after the event, you would send the client an invoice for the exact amount of your travel expenses. Again, I prefer the all-inclusive method. It's what we do, what I recommend. And if you want to know more about that, again, go back and check out episode 61. I explain more of that in details there. But if you decide to invoice travel separately, occasionally a client will insist on this. So from time to time, I'll have this pop up. But always, always, always do what's best for the client. And here's what I mean. Yeah, I'm telling you to pick an airline and stick with it for status and loyalty. But if I'm invoicing a client for travel and there's a flight on American that is $600 and an option on Southwest for $200, I need to do what's best for the client and book the cheaper option. Now, that's what I would do again if there's a huge price difference. But if the price difference is, let's say, under 100 bucks, I would probably book whatever my preferred airline is because it's not that significant of a difference. Now, again, this situation is only if you invoice travel separately. If you do all-inclusive pricing, this is not an issue. So if there's a $600 option or a $200 option, you can choose to spend that extra $400, but that's just money out of 
your own pocket at that point. So when we were invoicing travel separately before booking flights, another thing we would do is we would always confirm the schedule and the price with the client so that there's no surprises. Again, because we would be at that time when we first got started, we would invoice travel separately. We didn't want to send a client an invoice for the flight and maybe it was a $600 ticket, but they had budgeted only $200 and they're just, they're wasn't any $200 options available, we don't want them to be surprised. So before we even book it, we would give them a heads up. Hey, just a heads up. Here's the itinerary we're going to have. We're going to get in at this point. We got to leave at this time. And here's what the ticket's going to be. Just again, to give them a heads up, to keep them in the loop so that there are no surprises. It's always a good idea to double check on that. All right, so that's what you want to do before you even book travel during when you're getting ready to book travel itself. And we've got a couple other points here we're going to talk about of when it comes to traveling. You are on the road, you're traveling, you're in route, and things go wrong, things happen. What do you do at that point? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just break this up. We're going to make this a two-part episode. And so I'm going to record the other part, and we'll put that in the next episode. So uh, let's put a bow on this one, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that uh, discussion, chit chat, chatteroo about travel tips for speakers. So again, this is just part one. You're going to make sure that you also listen to part two, which will be coming at you in a couple days. That's why you got to subscribe to the podcast. And if you haven't already done that, make sure you do it within uh, wherever you listen to this podcast right now. There should be a magical subscribe button. I know for me, I use uh, an app called Downcast. I think it's called Downcast. Hang on, stand by. Let me look. I'm pulling it up on my phone right now. Overcast. Oh, maybe I used to use Downcast. Anyway, whatever app you're using to listen to your podcast, make sure that you subscribe to the show and uh, that way you, you never miss out on what we got for you. All right, boys and girls, that wraps up today's episode. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.